Hey folks, Sean Engel here from the Just One of the Guys podcast. I'd like to apologize to you at the beginning of the show. Unfortunately, the Guy Gardner episode that I was supposed to be recording with a special guest fell through, not because of circumstances of said guest, but because of circumstances of me being an idiot. I used an MP3 recorder for Skype, and unfortunately, it didn't work, and the show was lost to the ether. But fear not, we should be getting back together this weekend to re-record the show after I slap myself silly, and we're going to have a good Guy Gardnery fun time next week. Unfortunately, this week, you have to suffer through Hal and Evil Star. Sorry. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that despises Moby, but really enjoys his music. self-centered episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Unfortunately, for a while in the Green Lantern comic books, Guy Gardner is going to be missing from it, and again, as you probably know, Kyle Rayner doesn't show up until, well, something special happens with the character we're going to be talking about a lot today, Hal Jordan. And also, you may be wondering why I'm considering this to be a pretentious and self-centered episode. Well, once you get into Hal and some of his inner monologue in this issue, you'll kind of realize that although most people think Guy is the, pe- is the one to hate, Hal really is just as smug and arrogant as Guy is. He just keeps it to himself. And I guess that's what makes Guy such a fun character for me, is that he doesn't hide behind, you know, sort of these ideals of superiority that Hal does. But enough about that. Hello, my name's Sean Nigel, if I didn't mention that already. And today we're going to be covering Green Lantern comic number 26, which, as I said before, is a Hal Jordan-centered comic that's going to be dealing with the character of... <sighs> Evil Star. Plus, it's also going to be dealing with the Green Lantern Rogues Gallery, which really isn't the best Rogues Gallery around. I mean, you've got Sinestro, he's awesome. You've got Hector Hammond, he's pretty cool with his big giant head. But after that, they kind of steeply go downhill. I mean, you've got the shark, sonar. And in this book, you've got Jocasta, Evil Star, Repo, Piston, and their leader, Goldface. Yeah, with the Green Lantern villains, they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel of the DC villain universe. I guess, thankfully, Black Hand isn't there, but 
Guy, I think, took care of him. And speaking of Guy, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, the awesome podcast that I did about the three-part Guy Gardner prestige series, Guy Gardner Reborn. I hope you enjoyed it, because technically I haven't recorded it. Peeling back the curtains a bit, I was a bit inexperienced with the uh, Skype recording software, so when Thomas DJ and I got together and recorded what I thought was an awesome podcast about the uh, series, it was lost to the ether, because I was an idiot and didn't record it properly. So I'm recording this in advance as a possible placeholder for a Friday episode, but hopefully I'll be able to get back with Tom and re-record that podcast so you can get some Guy Gardnery goodness before we go all Hal Jordan. But, unfortunately, we do have to go all Hal Jordan on you, and we're going to come back to Green Lantern number 26 after I play the obligatory and wonderful podcast promos for some podcasts you should definitely be listening to. So, after the break, we'll come back with the issue, some emails, and more Hal Jordan stuff. Stay tuned. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands! Battle station! What are you scratching at? Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle Mondays available the second Monday of every month at two true freaks dot dot com. My name is Steve Lacey, dub podcaster. The randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me, help me, listen, please. Is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20 Minute Long Box. The 20 Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. 
Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. The show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com. Or search for 20 Minute Longbox on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Green Lantern's Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies, to comic books, to video games. And we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast.
Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. And we're back. But before we get into the issue proper, let's go ahead and delve into the Just One of the Guys mailbag and see what kind of letters we've got. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and the first one we have here is from Mr. Steve Rogers, the awesome writer, who asks, Sean, or actually he says, Amazing Spider-Man number 238 was the first ever appearance of the Hobgoblin. Then he gives a link to the uh, spiderfan.org site, which tells about the comic. He goes on to say, I'm not sure if that was reason enough to have it be costing higher than the first black suit or a special variant of adjectiveless Spidey number one in 1992, but there you go. Yes, this is in reference to one of the East Coast comics, or maybe Mile High comics, where they had Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 238 being priced a lot higher than the McFarlane cover Spider-Man or the uh, first issue of Venom being in the Spider-Man comics. During the 90s, I thought those would have been hot, and I had no idea why this one was, and I guess it's the first appearance of the Hobgoblin, so it makes sense. Steve goes on to say, Oh, by the way, I've been meaning to ask... In your very first trailer, who was the person who said, and Guy Gardner says that he wasn't paying much attention, to which Jeffrey Taylor quips, that's his other superpower, and where is that from? Well, I don't exactly know who was saying it, but I know it was during the Panic in the Sky arc that Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey were covering over it from Crisis to Crisis. I can't remember who the guest host was, though, so nor did I remember the exact episode. My record-keeping wasn't that great at the time. But at least you know it's from crisis, to, from, from crisis to crisis, so there you go. The next email comes from Luke Giaconetti, host of Earth Destruction Directive and purveyor of the websites El, El Jacone's Comic Bunker and Bean Carter Hall, a Hawkman blog. Uh, Luke writes in, episode 20 feedback, he goes, Sean, and then he, you know, just to make sure he spells my name, the variety of different ways it can be spelled, he got it right the first time. He says, hey man, just finished listening to episode 20 with Hal organizing his crew for the introduction of Flickr. What was interesting to me is less than two years after the quote-unquote new direction of the title, we're getting back to straight-up Hal Jordan-centric stories. Hearing you discuss this issue, issue in light of previous ones with Guy Gardner and Jon Stewart, I can see how many GL fans were annoyed by Hal Jordan when there are other GLs who deserve attention as well. Eh, that's kind of... Well, I definitely agree with that. I wouldn't have mind having this be a sort of spin-off book that dealt with the three characters and occasionally dealt with stories with other Green Lanterns, but again, they decided to go the route of Hal Jordan, and Hal, to me, is just really not that interesting a character, especially when you've got John and Guy as backup Lanterns to carry on different stories. And sadly, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, for quite a while now, it's going to be Hal Jordan-centric stories in here, so if you're not a Hal Jordan fan, well, I apologize. Luke continues, I do want to talk about Larvox a little bit. I have liked, uh, them. Yeah, uh, Larvox can't be considered female or male, so it's kind of hard to classify them with one of those gender-specific titles. 
He says, I was introduced to the character in the DC Cosmic Team's trading cards, which was the second set of cards which DC put out. The first half of the series was made up, made up of triptychs, which depicted teams, such as the Green Lantern Corps. The second half of the cards detailed the individuals of the triptych. One of these was Larbox, and I always thought that his-slash-her design was fantastically alien and overall sounded like a solid member of the Corps. Supposedly, Larbox is in the Green Lantern movie, but I never saw them in there. Still good to see the variety of races represented, especially the non-humanoid ones. I agree, and it's nice to see aliens like Chaselon and Larvox, and even though that Brick and Aa are more humanoid, they're rock-based creatures, so it's nice to know that the Green Lantern Corps isn't all human or humanoid-centric. It's nice to see some of the alien races in the costume of a Green Lantern. Luke finishes up with, When you got to the end of the issue, with Hal being attacked by an interdimensional foe, the first thing I thought was the Weaponers of Quard. Okay, well, I guess Flicker is alright, too. Uh, maybe for you, Luke. Flicker was, oh, ridiculous. But I'm certain you probably were hoping for some Weaponers, as I was as well. Moving on to listen to the next episode, keep up the great work on the show, Luke. Well, thanks, Luke. And oddly enough, Luke actually had an addendum to this email, where he writes in, At the end of the episode, you touched on the issue of smokers' rights. I'm not a smoker either, but I'm also big on personal choice. Where I live in Southern Carolina, or in South Carolina, smoking has been banned in most outside places and in bars. In bars. I mean, what do people consume in bars? Alcohol and cigarettes. If you want to outlaw something in a bar, then it should be alcohol. No one smokes half a pack and then wraps their car around the tree. My mom, my mother-in-law smokes, and she's had a bumper sticker on her van almost as long as I've known her, which says, at least I can still smoke in my car. Yeah, I'm not a smoker either. I'm not an advocate of smoker rights, but I'm not happy with the entire idea that the government can come in and basically tell you where and when you can do something that is perfectly legal. Especially where and when you can do something that's perfectly legal in places where that should be allowed and obviously, you know, in bars. It's just ridiculous. If if the government feels that it's that detrimental to people's health and that much of a problem, they need to outlaw it and ban it like they do with any other form of controlled substance and find people who do it. Instead, they're more happy with letting it go and taxing it ridiculously. I'm turning this episode into the Rush Limbaugh show. I apologize. Luke continues on and says, I would recommend a very funny movie, Thank You for Smoking, if you ever want some more humor in the same vein. Aaron Eckhart plays a lobbyist for Big Tobacco, and his job is to go around the country promoting smoking. It's really funny stuff and deals with personal choice as well. Yeah, I enjoyed Thank You for Smoking. I thought Eckhart was a really good character. He's not morally dubious. He's just a person who is a great debater and is able to win people over to his argument really well. And it's a job that he does, and he does it really well. It's based on a book of the same name, and the book actually has a bit of a different ending, if I recall. But it's a uh, fun, really satirical book, and 
really portrays both sides of the smoking issue, both the pro and anti-smoking, in an unfavorable and very pointed light. Good book to read, and a good, book, a good movie to watch as well. Luke finishes and says, thanks, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you too, Luke, and I want you to keep up the good work. He's going to be coming up next week, or I'm not certain next week, but sometime this month with an episode of Earth Destruction and Directive where he's going to be covering the Gamera movie, Gamera vs. Baragon. And I'm going to have to go check that out because my experience with Gamera vs. Baragon is all the MST3K stuff. So I'll need to check it out, unfortunately, without Joel and the bots mocking it. And lastly, I got an email from Michael Bradley, co-host of Green Lantern's Light and host of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, who said, I thought you might be interested in this. And he sent me a link, which basically says that the Green Lantern, the animated series, next season is going to be debuting Guy Gardner as a character. I thought this was great, as Guy Gardner needs to be in the media a lot more than he is. But, unfortunately, I had some reservations. Uh, Diedrich Bader is playing the voice, and not that I have anything about Diedrich Bader, but I just don't think his voice is suited to Guy. The uh, character who played Guy Gardner on the Batman the Brave and the Bold series had a better take on the voice. Unfortunately, the one person I think would have been perfect for Guy Gardner is now playing an animated saber-toothed tiger in the Ice Age films. Yeah, hopefully you've heard Thomas DJ's and my discussion of how Dennis Leary would have been the perfect Guy Gardner to be in a movie ever. Now, we're talking pre-Rescue Me Dennis Leary, the no-cure-for-cancer comedian Dennis Leary, but he not only had the attitude, but he had the look down perfectly. And Michael and I went back about back and forth about you know the Green Lantern series and other such stuff, and we basically came to the conclusion that it was nice that Guy was going to be on it, but unfortunately, Diedrich Bader may have not been the best choice for it. But we're going to give it a wait-and-see attitude, see how things turn out. But that's it for emails this time. I'd like to thank everyone for writing in. Emails make podcasting a wonderful experience. It kind of validates what we're doing. I love doing this podcast, and I love talking about these issues, but every once in a while to hear someone write in with whatever comment of whether or not I'm wrong or whether or not they agree or disagree with me, it always makes the the idea of me doing this more fulfilling. And I appreciate every one of you guys who listens to this podcast and writes in. You're all totally awesome. But with that, butt-kissing out of the way, <laughs> let's go ahead and start with issue number 26 of Green Lantern. Green Lantern number 26 was cover dated July 1992. Its release date was on or about May 26th of 1992. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 60p UK. The title was Back in Charge. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler was M.D. Bright, inker was Romeo Tangal, Letterer, Albert de Guzman, colorist, Anthony Tolan, and editor, Kevin Dooley. Streaking through the Southern California sky, Hal Jordan, newly reinstated Green Lantern of Sector 2814, muses that he's glad to be back. Flying over his old haunts of Ferris Aircraft and Coast City, Hal decides to stop for a lunch of sidewalk burritos. After signing an autograph of a fan and dissing former Green Lantern guy Gardner, Hal takes off to go catch a Dodgers game. Sneaking in and losing the GL uniform, 
Hal heads to the stands and sits down with the baseball fans. Asking how his team is doing, a fellow fan tells Hal that the Dodgers are doing fine, when a crack at the bat signals a home run for the opposing Giants, breaking the mood of the fans. But nothing can break Hal's mood as he flies off to do some more sightseeing. Reminiscing about his old bachelor pad and days spent with his old friend, Pie Face, Hal flies off without a care in the world. But watching from a rooftop below the Emerald Hero, a purple-clad minion with a star mask hisses his disapproval. Meanwhile, Hal is dropping in on the rehabilitation center that Carol Ferris is recovering at. Hal wants to make sure that Carol is getting back to being Carol, and she is. If being Carol means getting back into business again. Hal balks at the idea, but Carol says it would be the perfect way for her to help set up Hal's air transport company. Hal says he doesn't want to be indebted to Carol for long, and Carol says she just wants to get back into the business world. Of course, Hal has the perfect idea. Carol can be his secretary at his air transport service. Elsewhere, near Coast City, a small purple-suited minion is flying through the air. When he comes across another, whom he whispers a message to. The two land, enter a cave, and walk up to their master, Evil Star. The minions whisper their findings in his ear, and Evil Star bolts up, screaming the name of Green Lantern. At the same time, Hal is flying Carol to the side of his proposed new business. Along the way, he regales Carol with tales of his other business adventures including the time he was selling action figures. What? He even tells her about a rival salesman named Olivia Reynolds, who Hal obviously wanted to show his toys to, if you know what I mean. I think you do. Carol remarks, even though that they aren't doing the mattress mambo, she doesn't want to hear about his other women. Landing near the airfield, the two walk arm in arm, hopeful for the prospect of a new job opportunity. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Doom, oh, wait, no, it's just an abandoned mine, Evil Star, Jocasta, Repo, Piston, and their leader, Goldface, are worrying about the return of Green Lantern. It appears that the five science cell escapees are planning an interstellar crime force, and GL's return is putting a crimp in their plan. Evil Star wants to go directly after the Lantern, but Goldface demands he stick to their plan. As is typical with supervillain groups, Tempers Flare and Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Lee, 2011 All Rights Reserved, breaks out. But before Jocasta can put a dagger through Evil Star's head, Goldface yells for them to stop and sends them all in a timeout. Seriously, kinda does that. Sensing that Daddy might be mad at them, the other villains resolve to work together. But Evil Star is having nothing of it, and he storms out of the mine. Cursing Green Lantern for stealing his energy, Evil Star looks up the night sky and screams, I want my stars! Back at the Montoya Bay Carnival, Hal is doing his best Liam Neeson from Darkman impression, and wins Carol a stuffed animal. Now, the pink elephant, if you please. If that weren't enough to get Carol all moist in her lady parts, Hal offers to buy her churro. But Carol is content with a moonlight walk on the beach. Complaining that it's going to be expensive to start up his business, Hal pouts about the situation, while Carol says that she will do whatever it takes to help him out. 
but before the moment could get too mushy, Hal spots a starling shadowing across the beach. Bringing Carol back to the hotel, Hal changes into Green Lantern and goes after the diminutive folks until he encounters Evil Star, who demands he give him back his power, that he give him back the star. Okay, folks, you may have noticed this. With Guy being out of the picture as a Green Lantern and John being stuck on the Mosaic world and actually doing very well in his own book, we're going to get a lot of Hal-centric stories. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, I remember a lot of these stories being pretty good, but right now it's not looking so good. Hal's really, in my opinion, being just as big a jerk as most people say Guy is, and... Plus, he's got the Green Lantern Rogues Gallery, which really doesn't measure up to, say, even... Well, it doesn't measure up to Batman's at all, and doesn't even really measure up to Superman's, or it hardly even measures up to Green Arrow's. Pretty sad. But let's go ahead and get started with notes. Uh, We'll start with the cover, which is really kind of a nightmarish image of Hal Jordan being surrounded by all these little midgets with purple leotards with stars on their heads as he holds his fist to high, ring blazing, and Carol Ferris is, you know, being protected in a little Green Lantern bubble behind him. It's pretty creeping, and of course it's Attack of the Starlings, so you've got to kind of get a reference to Silence of the Lambs in here as well. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. So, there's a bit of creepiness there, and But the one nice thing is, up in the uh, corner copy, uh, where they usually have the image of the Green Lantern who's going to be in the book, this time around, they've got the ad for No More Mr. Nice Guy. And no, sorry, Luke, it's not an ad for an Alice Cooper comic. It's an ad for the Guy Gardner solo series. Awesome. Page one, we've got a really nice panel of Hal flying over a Southern California city. The the housing looks kind of, you know, Spanish. You know, you, it looks like you have a depiction of the castle, or not the castle, the church from Vertigo down there. But it's a good image. Bright and Tangal are some really great artists, and they do a really good job in the Green Lantern books. They're going to be here for a while, and I like their artwork a lot. Plus, one of the one of the things that's great for me is the pages are finally numbered again. So that's awesome, too. Then on page two, panels four and five, we get reason number one why Hal is just a big of jerk as Guy, where he's sitting on top of what looks like might be the Griffith, the Griffith Observatory, if I can get that out, saying that Earth is a violent, dirty, scarred, denuded, roaring downhill, and in desperate need of protectors like me. Yeah, Hal, no ego there. Page three, panel two. Reason why Hal is just a big jerk of Sky number two, when ordering a burrito from the vendor on the street, Hal asks for a spicy one, because only people from Baltimore can't handle spicy burritos. Um, maybe this hasn't been established in canon yet, but guys from Baltimore. Is that a slam? I think it is. Then later on the page, reason number three why Hal is just a big jerk as Guy. As soon as people want to talk to the superhero in his costume, who's just happens to be out on the street ordering a burrito like a normal person, 
he decides that the he's had enough there peon BS and decides to just fly off. Yeah, I'm one of you Earth people, but just don't touch me, don't touch me. Page four, panel three. Reason how is just a big jerk as guy number four. Uh, as he's flying along through the sky he, and eating his spicy bean burrito, Hal starts dropping beans and rice from the sky, so he creates a construct bucket to pick it up, and he mentions at the time, and let me read this, can't be dropping beans and rice from the heavens. That's the kind of thing that creates religious cults in this town. What? Beans and rice from the heaven will create religious cults in Southern California. What class of people is Hal Jordan actually talking about who live in Southern California who would find beans and rice falling from the sky a message from God? Really? Uh. Then on the same page, panel 5, reason number 5 why Hal is just a big jerk as guy. He likes to sneak into Major League Baseball games without paying, as we see him just basically flying into a baseball game, going in sort of behind the bleachers, or I guess underneath where no one is, and changing from Green Lantern to Hal Jordan, just casually walking in. Nice. Privileged bastard. Then on page 5, panel 7, we've got reason Hal is just a big jerk as guy number 6. He decides after one hit of the baseball game that doesn't go in his favor, he's going to not only just walk out of the game, but fly out. Not changing into his Green Lantern costume, not concealing his secret identity, he's just going to up and leave, just fly out of there, probably freaking everyone in the stadium out. And plus, you know, doesn't he have a secret identity to protect? Doesn't everyone who is sitting by him at least know, hey, that Green Lantern? It's that guy I saw at a baseball game. I can probably identify him. Way to go, Hal. Page 6, panel 3. Reason number 7, Hal is just a big jerk as guy. He refers to his best friend as Pieface. Still refers to him as Pieface. <sighs> Page 7, panel 1, and I've still got a few more of these. Reason why Hal is just a big jerk as guy number 8 calling the place where Carol is recovering a sanitarium. You know, why don't you just say that she's bat guano crazy while you're at it, Hal? You dink. You know, call it something, you know, if you're trying to be politically correct, call it something like a convalescence or a, you know, a recovery home or a treatment center. Sanitarium? I mean, that's right out of a Metallica song. And then, of course, on panel three of the same page, we get reason number nine of why Hal is a big a jerk of Sky. He decides to bypass the security of the sanitarium that Carol is staying at and just go see his crazy on-again, off-again ex-girlfriend. We've got a few more of these, sadly, here on page eight, panel seven. The, we've got reason number ten of why Hal is just a big a jerk of Sky. Hal not so subtly tells Carol, the person who's been a big-shot business person who's owned her own company and managed it quite well before she got possessed by Star Sapphire, 
that she should be Hal's secretary. Nice, Hal. Misogyny as well. Good job. And finally, the last one of these reasons that Hal's just as big a jerk as Guy. Page 12, panel 1, we get Hal telling Carol about his, well, I don't know if former girlfriend is correct. It's at least his former competitor, Olivia Reynolds. And, you know, what kind of guy openly talks about how attractive his former rival, girlfriend, partner, whatever was, in front of the person that he's carrying, flying through the, flying through the sky. Well, I'm certain that doesn't really happen that often because there aren't too many people flying through the sky, but I hope you get my point. Then here on page 13, we're introduced to essentially the Green Lantern version of the Legion of Doom. We've got, of course, Evil Star, who's in a purple jumpsuit with a purple mask with a red star on the front and a blue cape. Then we've got Repo, who kind of looks like the chameleon from Amazing Spider-Man, but he's got sort of a Irish look. It looks like he's got a tam shanter and he's got an ascot. Is that the thing that Fred wears around his neck, an ascot? I think so. I can't remember. Then we've got Jocasta, who is, you know, your typical female Valkyrie-type person. And finally, you have Piston, who is some sort of Iron Man wannabe. Uh, He's basically a sort of blue steel encased person, or maybe robot. I don't know, and I don't care. But, of course, the leader of these great villains is none other than Goldface. So, yeah, I'm looking at the Green Lantern Rogues Gallery and thinking they suck kind of hard. Then on page 15, panel 4, as the obligatory fight between the criminals occurs, Jocasta decides to pull a dagger from a sheath that she has conveniently tucked between her breasts. I'm serious, in this panel she's reaching right into her cleavage and pulling out this dagger to stab Evil Star filthy. Huh? I wonder if there's other things that she puts in there. No, I, I'm not going to think about that. Page 16, panel 1. Goldface finally realizes that he's going to have to treat these idiots like kids, and he basically tells them all to go to their separate caverns. Jeez, this is like the evil version of the Brady Bunch. It's ridiculous. Page 17, panel 5. Just to sort of nitpick here, when uh, Evil Star goes out to look up the sky, we see the moon and crescent. You know, keep that in mind for a couple of panels. Hold on. Then on page 19, panel 2, I couldn't help but think of Dark Man, where Liam Neeson is knocking down the uh, milk bottles and he wins the uh, fuzzy elephant for his girlfriend. This time, you know, Hal doesn't have to snap anyone's fingers like Liam Neeson did. So, Dark Man's a great movie, just mentioning that. But then on the same page, panel 5, we get a shot of the moon, and I'm assuming it's the same day, but here the moon is completely full, not silhouetted by clouds, but it's a full moon. So did essentially like two weeks pass between this time? I don't get it. Then my final note on the book is on page 21, panels 5 and 6, we see evil stars' little midget starlings reaching out to grab Hal, as they are hiding under the sand. and I don't know about you, but when hands reach out of the earth and try and pull me under, 
that's always kind of creepy. So it's got that going for it. But that finishes up notes for the book. We'll go ahead and take a look at some of the ads and see what kind of neat stuff they have to sell this time around. And on the opening inside cover, we've got Simpsons Madness on the NES, SNES, and Genesis. It's Krusty's Funhouse. And this looks like your typical side-scroller platformer where you get to pay, play Bart Simpson and do incredibly, well, Bart Simpson-y things to Krusty's Funhouse. Again, this is a game, unfortunately, I didn't play, but this is the time period where they're releasing stuff on all three platforms, the NES, the Super NES, and the Genesis. And more than likely, you'll be wanting to get the Super NES or the Genesis versions because they're going to look a lot better and probably play a lot better as well. A few more pages in, we get the full-page splash of Cool World with the animated version of Kim Basinger looking a heck of a lot more attractive than the regular version of Kim Basinger. We mentioned that last time. And then on the next page, we get Shift Happens. Warning, once you steer head-to-head, day-to-night, high-speed, two-player simultaneous racing with Kimco's brake-squealing, nitro-blasting top gear for your Super NES, it's almost impossible to stop. And this is an ad for the Super Nintendo version of Top Gear. Now, this is Top Gear, a racing game, not Top Gear, the car show hosted by Jeremy Clarkson. Although, that would probably be a fun video game as well. A few more pages in, we get Rick Moranis in Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which was, if you didn't remember, a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kid, where scientist Rick Moranis, well, I can't remember his name in the movie, but... Rick Moranis, nonetheless, is a scientist, and he invents Shrinking Ray, which unfortunately he turns into an enlarging ray, and basically blows his kid up to giant-sized proportion, and wackiness ensues. One of the things I was looking at, uh, the list of people who are writers on this, are actually Stuart Gordon and Brian Yunsa, or Yuzna. Now, if you don't know who these guys are... Maybe if you're a horror fan, you probably do, because they're the people behind the sort of Lovecraft movies, like Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator, and I think they also did From Beyond. Those are some classic 80s horror movies. Uh, Reanimator dealing with Herbert West, really good horror movie and pretty good gross-out movie, but it's surprising to see that these guys are behind the sort of kiddified Disney movie, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Just kind of weird. Next page, we get the ads for the Great Eastern Conventions, including the biggest convention of the year in New York, and the second biggest convention of the year in Detroit. That was probably a good one to go to. A few more pages in, we get the summer sale for American Comics and Entertainment, and all orders postmarked by June 30th get a free, valuable comic and poster. And there's a sort of neat... Uh, drawing here, well, a neat piece of artwork here for what looks to be the Batman versus Predator comic. We've got Batman sort of fighting off a Predator who's trying to bite his face off. It's kind of neat. But they only list, you know, the they list the comics and prices. They don't give, like, mega price comics. In fact, the highest price comic I see here is Alpha Flight number 106, which is running for 20 bucks. Oh, I take that back. On Kenny Axman, 148 is running for 25 so good prices on comics. They've got 75 and dollar comics out, so not bad. And the next page after that, we've got the DC Comics subscription ad, which has, I don't know, it looks like a Mike Paraback-drawn Batman. 
He's he's oddly enough on top of a statue of a gargoyle, but the gargoyle's face looks a little like Paramount art. You know, unfortunately, I'm not the best person in pointing out who artists are, so I'm just making a guess here. A little further on, we get the official Batman Returns magazines. Get them both while supplies last. And, of course, this being 90s, the 90s, one of them has a 3D hologram cover. Awesome. Next page is a typical hodgepodge ad with all the stuff we're used to seeing. Uh, the letters page has some interesting missives, I guess. You know, they're not emails anymore. Or they weren't emails at the time. But they've got some interesting letters for people asking for the return of the shark. You know, I understand that Greenlander doesn't have the greatest rogues gallery, as, I, as I've mentioned before, but the shark? Really? And there's another letter in here where someone writes that he's really happy that Jon Stewart is getting his own comic in Green Lantern Mosaic, and he hopes that it's not going to be a limited series, and of course DC Editorial says, nope, it's ongoing, it's forever. Well, wouldn't be the first time they've lied to us. And also, you know, we've got another letter from Letterhack, and, well, not Letterhack, constant letter writer, Uncle Elvis, so that's kind of cool. Then on the back inside cover, we've got Hot Dog. It's the Tim Burton short film, really probably the ones that first caught people's eye before Beetlejuice, Frankenweenie. Now, I know that coming up later this year, they're going to be remaking Frankenweenie in the sort of, oh, stop-motion thing that's kind of like Nightmare Before Christmas, the Henry Selleck movie. But this time around, I believe it was a live-action one. Unfortunately, I haven't seen it, but... It's got a little pit bull terrier with the sort of Frankenstein probes hanging out of its neck and looking all kind of zombified. I'm certain being Tim Burton's early stuff, it was really cute and kind of touching as well, and not just Johnny Depp and Whiteface. But on the back outside cover, we get another ad for another metal album of the time. It's Kiss's Revenge, which had such hit songs as Domino, which wasn't bad, and the wonderful song God Gave Rock and Roll to You too, which was featured prominently in the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey movie. Now, if you're thinking this might be Kiss and the white face and everything, no, this was the time period where they decided it was a good idea to take the white face off. And they had replaced a couple of members of the band, Ace Freely and Peter Chris, I believe, with Bruce Kulik, I guess who was playing lead guitar, and Eric Singer, who was drums. And I don't know who is who, but I'm assuming one of them was blonde. Which I guess is not a problem, but it's just, when you think of Kiss, you all think long-haired, mulleted, black-haired guys. I don't get it. It just looks odd for Kiss. But there it is. But that again does it for ads this time about. I would like to remind you all that, as usual, this issue has not been reprinted in any form that I can find. So you have to go out and search it up if you want to, especially if you're a Hal Jordan fan and you like him acting like a jerk. Sorry, this just didn't do it for me. But maybe next issue will be better, because we're going to be following the second part of the Evil Star trilogy, I guess, which isn't as fun as the Evil Dead trilogy, But honestly, what can we? So, 
I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, and we'll chat with you then. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast. And feel free to leave me a review there. I'd love to read it on the next show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account on Facebook. But if you have enough time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Moby's We Are All Made of Stars from his album 18. As usual, you can go either buy the album or download the album from iTunes, or you can buy the individual song from iTunes. But if you are a smart and clever customer, you'll definitely go to the website twotruefreaks.limson.com and click on the Amazon banner at the top of the page. That'll take you to Amazon.com, and you can download the song, album, or buy the album there, and buy a myriad number of Moby-centered things. Because... Everyone loves Moby, right? No, I guess not.